when did you first find out about the aeronauts and what did Tom give you? What did he show you? What were some of like the early pre-production steps for you to be introduced to this film and, and the story? So when I was working on War and Peace with Tom, one night we were getting the uh, train home after mixing and Tom was uh, at that point reading the book Falling Upwards, which was the book that kind of uh, get, gave him the, uh, the seed of the idea for this. Um, and so from that point, we sort of talked about the notion of the film and what it could be. Um, then fast forward uh, a few months and Tom was cutting together a sizzle reel for Amazon to show them what what he, he thought the film could be. So that's using uh, footage from, from other films uh, put to music, almost like a kind of mood reel. Um, so that was given to me to then put sound on. So um, Mark Eckersley, Tom's editor, had you know, taken footage from... Um, Oh, from all kinds of things, you know, from Titanic and, uh, uh, you know, of, of, of people falling off, off of the boat and uh, gravity as, as the uh, capsules plummeting to Earth, uh, Life of Pi, um, you know, when we're up in the clouds to try and tell the story of, of, of the butterflies and all these different beats throughout our film. And uh, so, you know, I, I had the script from Tom at that point and was then trying to find a way to, to you know, use sound to actually create... Um, I guess, uh, um, a more authentic version of what it is because they're quite restricted, you know, in the images of they are what they are. So, so when you've got um, Jack and Rose falling off of a boat, I'm, I'm putting in the sound of wind rather than the water you're seeing to, to, to you know, do the storytelling for them. Um, so that, that was my sort of initial involvement in, in the film. Um, and then, then we moved on to Wild Rose together. And, and then at that point, the film was just being greenlit. And so that's when Tom was starting to put together a uh, crew on the film. And that's when I pulled uh, in a supper meeting with, with him and uh, the production sound mixer. Um, yeah. When Tom first told you about this project, did you understand kind of what was going to be necessary in terms of the, the sound job at hand? I mean, like with you saying before, you worked with Tom in the past, but now... You know, this is a very unique story. There's not many films that take place in, you know, balloons in the air. So, like, what was kind of the first task for you you and your team of thinking about those atmospheres, at least? Um, well, so uh, my, I, I was doing War and Peace with Tom when he was um, reading the book that this is based on. Um, and then I got, you know, an early draft of the script. So I was kind of with with the project for a long time and sort of had it in my head for a, a long time you know so I was, I was attached throughout pre-production and, and and all the way so um and i'm you know involved in, in getting the the sound recordist uh, the production sound mixer on board um he's someone i've worked with in the past and sort of put him together with with tom harper for this one um so yeah i was, I was very much a part of the, the gestation um and uh, i i guess there's a lot of evolution to the track on on, on this one we we did three temp mixes along the way um and and the track changed significantly across the course of them and into the final mix um going into the film i imagine there'd be a lot uh a lot a lot uh, the track would be a lot denser um i imagine that the air would be fuller and, and there'd be more sound and it is kind of only only as we spent time on the film in the bloom with them that you started to understand how actually uh by pulling sound away and, and finding uh, f finding the space, it made the sequences where, where sound had to feature more heavily, more effective. Um, the actual experience of being in a balloon like that, um, that there isn't so much sound at all. Um, you know, because it's, it's a 
hot air balloon. Um, it's, it, it, sorry, it's, it's, a, it's a gas balloon, not, not a traditional hot air right, balloon. Yeah. So in a traditional hot air balloon, you have a burner running, um, you know, which is what, what takes you up and down, whereas in a gas balloon, um, it's purely having the gas inside this uh, silk envelope that's getting the thing up and down. So um, there's no sort of external noise and the uh the sound is the sound of the basket the sound of the balloon around you uh, and above you um so the, the initial challenge I, I guess for me was getting the balloon right um and the balloon we broke down into four major components which was the uh basket the uh the, the rigging the scientific instruments and then the balloon itself um, and then it's kind of the interplay between these four ingredients that kind of guides you through the film and, and what the uh, elements are doing at any given point. Um, so we had to find a way to construct a, a basket sound. We, uh, we went along to the location while they were shooting and got to get in the production basket on very early doors, um, and that sort of showed us that a, a wicker basket of that scale had a very distinctive sound and character. Um, but the first thing we needed to do for the production was then get rid of that sound and character because we needed to get clean dialogues. So um, Tom Williams, the production sound mixer, spent a, a fair bit of time researching uh, the best way to to dampen the sound and uh, was treating a whole load of different wicker baskets um, and baking them in the sun one hot summer's day and uh, working out what would best kind of bind and lubricate the wicker um, between him and uh, and the production designers, they came up with a sort of PVA glue solution, which they applied to the balloon. And the end of that story is we were left with clean dialogues, but not a whole lot else uh, when the production track came back. Um, so anyway, we, we did a few wild recordings while we were at, at the at the studio and, you know, gathered a little sort of library of, of live foley that we could use further down the line. But... Um, it became clear to me at that point that we were going to need to get a basket of our own for, for use in Foley, uh, being the film, you know, 70% of it takes place in this basket. Um, so I commissioned a basket of our own from a, a Welsh woman that makes uh, wicker coffins and uh, got a five foot by five foot basket delivered here to our studio in London, um, which arrived on the roof of her car looking rather battered up where she'd driven it all the way from Wales and uh, then realised when I got a five foot by five foot basket off the roof of the car that's actually quite sizable and uh, yeah had some trouble fitting it down the stairwell and uh, with a few kicks and pushes and pulls we finally got it into the basement and uh, the beauty of that was it meant both of the Foley artists could climb inside and uh, react to picture so that gave us a sort of skeleton track for the whole film of you know movement within the basket that we could then cut the, uh, the sweetness was recorded on location on, on top of and, you know, add, add other embellishments. Um, so that was how we ended up getting our basket sound anyway. Um, and then turning to the other ingredients. No, sorry, you, you go. Oh, no, that's, that's fantastic. I'm wondering, though, like the evolution of, of understanding kind of uh, the dynamics of, of once they're up in the sky, because that's why I, re I really enjoyed that. It, it did drop down and it got very quiet and very intimate and the conversation carried with them. Like there, obviously there's heightened moments. There's, you know, these storms, the cold conditions, just it, it's it, 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 the quietness played into just the isolation um, very much. So. so how did your team and how did Tom Harper, your director, come about to kind of like figure out the right mixture of playing with dynamics of of how much is really needed when you're at the different elevations okay um i guess 
Tom and I were coming from opposing sides on this one, and that's kind of how we ended up in the middle. I wanted plenty of sound up there, and Tom wanted no sound up there. Um, so I was trying to understand what Tom was striving for, which was finding the peace, uh, tranquility, um, yeah, and silence that can only be found sort of in the middle of the skies. Um, and at the same time, I wanted to tell the story of the elements and to uh, give uh, a sense of continuous movement for the ascent and descent of the balloon. Um, and so I ended up achieving that through multiple layers of wind of all different characters. So whistling wind, buffeting wind, whisping wind. And there's generally in the film sort of five, five or six layers of that playing in any given scene, all chosen for you know their, their character uh, for that scene. And uh, then I'm panning them continually around the Atmos soundstage um and so just all doing their own sort of panning path and that just gives you this sense of continuous movement um yeah that, that gives the balloon the, the illusion of continuous movement mm. how, how did you build your library of sounds for for the wind did, is this stuff you already had or like what was the combination of the different type of textures you guys were using uh, it, it was a combination of stuff we had and, and stuff we got in for it. So we, we were, you know, trading and uh, and buying and uh, yeah, pulling in sort of fav favors from everyone, just getting all the wind we could get our hands on, and uh, auditioning tracks to, to to find the right things. And and like I say, we wanted each scene to have its own character. So yeah, uh, a lot of different material was used. Mm. Did you have to do a lot of looping with Felicity and Eddie? Did you find that the production, that all the basket stuff was all pretty much clean because it, a lot of it was a mixture of green screen or more controlled environments? Uh, the, the basket stuff was was good and pretty clean. And yes, we did uh, a fair amount of ADR as well. Um, yeah, whether it's just to kind of find moments of uh, improving intelligibility and, and diction, um, just making sure it all really sang through, particularly in the, the, the more um, action-led sequences of the film. Um, but I, 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 we did have an excellent production track, and, and Tom Williams managed to get usable sound in, in many conditions that uh, I think other people may have put their hands up in and just said it's guide track here, mm. and, and he kept persevering. And uh, even in the storm, we, there are elements of production track being used that you know, played in isolation sound pretty scary, but uh, in, in, in the mix that they work and they've just got an energy, which is what Tom was about in that sequence. You know, he wasn't uh, fighting so much for hearing every word. He just wanted to feel the, uh, uh, feel the energy and, and, and experience that the actors are having at that point. So yeah, some of the screams and shouts there are actually from the production track. Mm. Did, did the Foley team have a lot to do when it came to doing their, their passes, their coverage? Because, I mean, if the footsteps are pretty much in the basket. Uh, I mean, there's the instances when, when Felicity's character, um, Amelia, goes to, like, the balloon, and it's, you know, it's like that the, this big kind of moment for her and, and for the film, kind of the pinnacle of them, like, climbing elevation. But, like, how did you leverage your Foley team? How did they really play into um, to elevate the scenes? So Foley were, were mainly focusing on spot effects, actually. Um, most of the footsteps in the film were cut by, by us uh, as, as sound effects. Um, so it's stuff on the ground. We, we've used live recordings from manor houses um, to ensure that you get the, uh, the scale and complexity and character of the large wooden floors 
um, and the, the basket elements, like I say, Foley shot a sort of a Foley skeleton of movement within it, but then we were cutting sweeteners on top of that to, to get all the various layers. Um, later on in the film, when they when they get up high and uh, everything starts to freeze up, we started adding in, you know, frost and uh, thin ice footstep ingredients on top of the wicker um, to, to constantly evolve that part of the track. Um, so yeah, most of Foley's attention was given to creating the, the, the spot effects for the film and they, they covered all aspects, even uh, moving into the ice climb in, in, in the sort of latter part of the film. Foley were recording their ingredients with uh, you know, polystyrene sh sheets and uh, uh, packets of noodles and uh, <laughs> freezing uh, various textiles in, in, a, in a freezer, which was you know, constantly running outside the door of the Foley studio. Wigs were frozen to uh, ca capture the sound of Felicity's hair. Yeah. That's great. When it did come to your Atmos mix, how did you end up using your overhead? Because the opportunity for enhancing some of those scenes, especially the storm, obviously, is an incredible moment. But I'd love for you to just maybe talk about how you how you prefer to use your overhead channels, how you manage you know, a lot of the low end. Um, what have you found worked best for this film when it came to um, utilizing the Atmos channels? Well, see, uh, the, the, the sonic spatial separation of Atmos was hugely useful in the complex sequences of the film because it allows the viewer to register more, uh, register and absorb more complex audio information, I'd say. So it, st it stops the sound feeling cluttered. You're able to, uh, I mean, we're aiming for a first person experience in the balloon. So we used Atmos to, um, to put the balloon above your head the uh, the baskets sort of around the front um the instruments pan around uh around the room corresponding to what george Steele's camera is doing at any given point and the uh, the ropes and creeks are also moving above your head so that puts the viewer bang in the center with with our actors mm -hmm. and uh we, we even pan the dialogue like way more than than one would traditionally expect to do uh again just to, according to what the camera is doing so when the character's off the voices are always off um, so that, that was a, a really, yeah, the, the immersion that the format allowed us, I suppose, was, was what was so exciting to explore. Mm. And, and how did you manage the, the post? When did, how early on did you guys start doing premixes? When did you get into your finals and, uh, where was all that work done? Uh, so as I said, we did three temp mixes on the film. Um, we carried them that, that automation through into the premix. Uh, the temp mixes we all we did in seven one, and then at premix stage I moved that into a seven one two template and uh, introduced um, object tracks. So the useful thing about that workflow was I was familiar with how the film was playing in seven one, but on the way through the temp mixes was constantly thinking about how we'd be using the uh, you know the, the the additional sound field of Atmos. Um, so then as part of the premix, uh, ingredients started being pulled out into the object tracks and, and moved up and gaining height information. Um, but it meant at the back end of the mix, there weren't really any surprises going back down to 7.1 and 5.1, which being that the film is going to ultimately spend its life uh, on, you know, ultimately on Amazon Prime, it, it was a very useful thing. Uh, and for you, like that translation, how much additional attention went into you, you know the other the stereo the you know the, the surround the i guess uh, the 5171 like 
do you tend to go back and take a listen and make adjustments based off of what you're hearing or does the translation pretty much fold down perfectly? No, we, 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 we did spend a good bit of time on this one, working the, the 7-1 to 5-1 and, and, and particularly the Atmos. Um, the, yeah, the, by the time you get down to a sound bar and a television, some of the, uh, the LF information uh, wasn't doing what it needed to, particularly the, the, the thunderstorm. So sweetener ingredients were, were being added at that point to, uh, to ensure that the viewers are getting all the information they need to get. And that was in part due to in the main mix, Tom wanting you to, Tom, the director wanting you to feel certain aspects and not necessarily register you're hearing it. So initial parts of the thunder are played purely in sub so you kind of you, you get a sense of the storm coming before you actually start to properly register that you're hearing it um but of course on a television that doesn't happen so you, you, you're forced you're forced to approach the sequence in a slightly different manner um and then for the domestic versions uh, ultimately we were riding around the, the the stems and atmospheres came up um probably sort of four four five db as a, as a general rule throughout because again, you're aware that people aren't sitting in a in a quiet auditorium, uh, being forced to focus there at home with uh, all the distractions, noises, and, and buzzes that come with with, with being at home. Mm. And so, for the, the the big scene of this storm, uh, how much kind of advance notice did you have about it? I mean, obviously, it's 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 a big part of the the story and part of the film. How, how a lot of it, I imagine, is all most of it's CG. But how did that? that scene evolve and, and how did you guys um, start to kind of address the dynamics of creating this storm? Because it, it, there's so many different elements that are happening throughout that sequence. It's probably the scene in the film that went through the most uh, evolution over the course of the temp mixes and indeed the, the final mix. Um, when we hit it on temp one, uh, we'd gone to town with, with sound design, sound effects on it and Stephen Price uh, arrived with a sort of seven-minute musical number, and we, we put it all together, and it was quite frankly overwhelming. Um, and so we played with it in, in all different guises. You know, we wondered about a version. Tom sort of had a, a dream and notion that the sequence would sustain with with uh, sound effects only, and we tried doing the, the storm as such. But it's, it's a long time to sustain a sequence for with, with just sound, and indeed. Uh, the sequence has got hero beats throughout it that without uh, the, the support of music just, just weren't landing. Um, so uh, so from a starting point of finding that music was sort of almost flattening the sequence by, by having too much of it, by comparison, sound on its own also felt flat. So ultimately we ended up breaking the sequence down into, um, into three acts, sort of the arrival of the storm, then the uh, the rainstorm in, in in the middle of it where where they get thrown from the basket and then finally the the section where they get sucked into a wind tunnel and and, and the balloon rises at a high speed um and each of those we treated differently so that the front part of the storm uh stephen price uh toned the music down and uh, is very much supplying sort of atmospheric beds uh to allow the sound effects to, to really live and for us to tell the story of of the uh, approach of the storm and give you that geography and get you in there with them to to immerse the viewer within the balloon and then the middle section where where you have the jeopardy uh that's where the music really sort of comes to the front and like i say gives you hero beats and yeah becomes slightly more traditional uh should we say blockbuster 
uh, in, in its sound. Uh, and then the final section, we, we pull out the music entirely and uh, it plays just with sound for the, uh, for the wind tunnel. And you can really then hear all, all the detail and, and, and layering of, of the weather. Um, yeah, it, it was a real process to, to get there through that. And it was even in the final mix, we were sort of playing with taking aspects of the music out and, and, and putting it back in, just trying to give it as much space and air as possible to not make the, the experience um, overwhelming and fatiguing for the viewer to experience. Uh, but but also to make it immersive and and uh, exciting and involving. Yeah, I've done it as like version one. It's just jumping through elements, so you kind of hear the same two minute sequence twice. Once where it's you're hearing the 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 winds, and then you're hearing kind of the tinkle of the instruments, and then you're hearing the flapping of the balloon and and uh, the thunder, just basically soloing stems, and then the same sequence runs again as a as a full two minutes all put back together. I'm not sure your instruments are much use to us now. We need to batten down. I'm not sure your instruments are much use to us now. We need to batten down. Please put on your wet weather clothing. There are no prizes for obstinacy. James, you won't listen to me. Listen to that. Well, not one of my readings suggested a storm. Well, that's what it is. And we're inside a cumulus, which is precisely where we shouldn't be. Don't worry. She's not made of conductive material, so we won't attract lightning. And if we are struck, the gas will explode, so we won't live long enough for me to push up. Ah! Stay still and keep calm. I need to get us out of this. No! No! We cannot descend. This might be our one and only opportunity. Of course we don't descend. 
We don't. There are two ways to break the storm. One is to travel beneath it. The other, above it. The safest way is up. The safest way is up. Who do you think you want to live alone with? Because of your relationship with Tom and like, how do you find you best work with him? Is it, does he come in with a lot of ideas or does he kind of entrust you with taking the first pass and then react to that? How, how does, how do you like to kind of manage kind of showing or not showing Tom your material? No, he very much uh, tr- trusts me to make a first pass and then, and then react to that. We, we, we chat a little bit sort of prior to the project, but we don't really even do a traditional spotting session. Uh, nowadays, I do just make a pass on 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 the film, and then we we play that through and and talk about what's working and what's not working. I find he is more of a, a reactive director. Has he worked in Atmos before? We had done an Atmos upmix of his last film, Wild Rose, mm-hmm. so he'd sort of played around with it a bit as part of that, um, but nothing nothing to this level really. Um, uh, this is sort of a really an opportunity to uh, to show off what Atmos can do. Um, you know, on a, on a quieter film like Wild Rose, it, uh, it, it, the immersive nature of Atmos was great, and we used it to sort of pull the music into the room and to, to surround the, the viewer and put you in a bit more of a bubble. But uh, the sort of uh, specific uh, sonic sp- spatial placement of, of sound around the room, we, we weren't really playing with too much, and that, that was what was so useful in, in this film, uh, particularly in the uh, action sequences. Yeah, I find like a lot of times when you when you share kind of a, a new technology or something that you want to kind of show to your collaborators and, and directors, like a lot of times you kind of play something back and it's more of a feel. You're not really talking about the technicality of a system or it's just more of like, here's here's what we've done before and this is what we can do now. Do you find that, you know, as you continue to kind of delve into more immersive audio that it's easier to start in a native format? or How, how did, I guess, with... Aeronauts, how did you guys want to approach it? Did you have the chance to start in native? Uh, we could have started in native, but with with the temp mixes and the recuts, it, it seemed like a, a crazy idea anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly in terms of the sound editorial, um, it, it, seemed, it seemed really prudent just to st- stick the film in 7.1 and, and being mindful of, of where it's going to end up. Uh, it, it allowed a lot of thought to go into that. That, that was what I was concerned, concerned about. Um, Going into the film, I, I very much knew from the beginning how I wanted to deal with the balloon. I was excited about the, the notion mm-hmm. that we were in this tiny space and that we could put the viewer in this tiny space. And so it sort of made complete sense that the, the balloon would be above your head and the ropes would be above your head and you'd really be uh, engaging the, the, the ceiling speakers in that way. But uh, in seven one and five one, you also need to get that information across uh, w- without making the, the mix feel muddy um so in in the five one and seven one a lot of that information is actually playing in in the rear of the room and so that's how we were track laying and uh and temp mixing yeah in the knowledge that so many people were going to see the film in in that fashion is there anyone else in your crew that you want to call out or uh, i guess you know my, my sound designer uh andy kennedy who i've again been working working with for the best part of 10 years who, who's absolutely fantastic and uh and, and he played a huge 
huge role in this film in, in, in tackling the sound design with me. It, just looking at Andy Andy's credits, looks like he's he has his hand in a lot of the, a TV from uh, The Crown and Curfew, Hannah. Indeed, our, our first show together, I think, was probably Generation Kill, and and then you know we've, we've done a, a whole ton together since then. And, and so between you and Andy, like, are you were you able to task Andy with more specific opportunities? Uh, the characteristics of the balloon are really unique because I don't know as an audience member I'm really listening to my surroundings because all those things indicate pretty much things that could hurt you it's like um like (laughs) your ears open up to every nuance like just the audience was just like really um you know I felt like everyone was leaning in a lot more to their surroundings just like taking on that perspective because the camera does live in that basket with the actors the perspective is 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 very close and very personal how, how do you think you and Andy were thinking about kind of like the the perspective of camera and just kind of like the space of the basket because it's not that big so again the the atmos format was our starting point of, of knowing we have the separation of having the balloon above us and clearing out space there um the interplay between the four key ingredients of the balloon was absolutely vital through all of this as well we wanted to always focus uh, uh, or tell a story of cause and effect so if we see a movement in the balloon tracing that chain that a wind buffet has gone through, it's hit the balloon above our head, you hear the ropes then go, then you hear the basket creak and, and the instruments tinkle and do their thing. So it's staggering all of those ingredients. Um, it gives you that sense of realism, I guess. And then we took that further forward to when the camera's in close and being intimate, uh, like Felicity climbing up the balloon, you see a, a hand grab onto a rope. Well, what's that doing above your head? So again, you see a hand grab there, ice is falling so it makes sense that that's going to be hitting something else and uh the rope she's pulling again will be affecting other ropes above your head and that ultimately is meeting the balloon so we're always trying to make the uh make the sound bigger than the picture somehow on on the more intimate sequences um and and then um like the latter part of the film where Felicity is, is climbing, it really sort of allowed for, for macro close sound as well, just really focusing on, on the details um, and bringing them to the forefront in, in the mix and making the, the sound sharp, uh, present. And, and, and then Felicity, we, we, we ADR'd a lot of breath and presence for her um, to ensure that she, she's yeah always feeling very, very there and, and, and dominating and, uh, uh, yeah, putting you right in there with her in close. I mean, the film is coming out now in the states. It had it's been playing at a lot of festivals, and it's it's going to be on Amazon, which I think is an opportunity for a lot of people to to see it at home. What do you appreciate? I guess just about kind of a, a project like this, where it has a mixture of of releases. It has, you know, like people are going to be experiencing in different ways. Obviously, like. A lot of, not everyone's going to have Atmos in their home. So what can you say? And, all, and also people are going to watch it, you know, potentially with, with headphones or, you know, in different formats. What can you just say about kind of those considerations when it comes to working on sound and the fact that everyone's going to have a different experience based off of, you know, how they choose to watch, uh, you know, one of your projects? <laughs> um we we did give give a, a a decent bit of attention to ensuring that the stereo mix worked in its own right um 
ensuring that the dialogue punches through and, and clarity is always there for the viewer and, and that uh, the sound design is still doing its job. It, it, it's, it, it's a really, it's a tough, it's one of the toughest things about what we do, I, I think, actually, this kind of, I think there's a, a bit of a perception that you can do a, a one size fits all. And I very much don't feel that that is the case. Um, and, you know, the, the Atmos format gives you a very different relationship to sound than, than when it's brought into stereo. Um, I, I talked earlier on about how, in, in my opinion, Atmos allows you to register um, more, more, more information at a given point than, than perhaps traditional 5.1 or, or in, a, in a more extreme case, a stereo mix. Um, and so that, that was something we were just very mindful of, um, you know, in approaching a, 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 a job that, you know, is going to have most of its life in stereo. You're kind of making uh, more, more selective decisions of, of what you want anyone to hear at any given point. Whereas I felt an Atmos, um, I wasn't being quite so restricted there. And, and you can sort of have your cake and eat it slightly, uh, if that makes sense. Um, but so, so yeah, the television mix, we, we gave a lot of due consideration and uh, dialogue came up comparatively to music at a few points and, and, you know, the effects gave way at a few points to, to again, allow the dialogue to punch through and atmosphere and world w was brought to the foreground on some of the quieter scenes where, you know, you've got to imagine that some people will be playing it at home at, at rather quiet levels. Um, and, and all that, you don't want that stuff to disappear. I, I, it, it was a dance I was con constantly doing of, of trying to give Tom what he wanted of finding this quiet majesty, but always making the film feel alive, I suppose. And, 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 and bring the, you know, the, 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 the green screen and, and the, um, and, 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 you know, the, the, the live footage, but bring it all to life and just make a sort of seamless meld between those two things and, and make you feel like you're there jo join the dots really i mm -hmm. suppose yeah. and d was there considerations at, because like the, the wonderful visual of the elevation as the balloon climbs there's this trajectory that has the balloon going for kind of you know the mark of like the, the record how did you guys want to kind of show the different layers did you want was there a, something that you you did in uh, the sound work that you felt like would separate the different layers of the atmosphere as they started climbing definitely yeah um at the lower level um when the balloon's just taking off you, you get way more wind and and uh whistling and and movement and and you know indeed you kind of st still have a bit of presence at the ground and uh as they rise above the storm it starts to settle down more and the wind becomes gentler um, less whistly, less sort of in your ear, so you're still feeling the movement, but you, you probably don't latch onto it as much. And then when they reach the uh, the summit of, of the flight, the wind disappears altogether, and at that point the atmosphere does just become subsonic or you know, subharmonic sort of rumbles, essentially, which is part of what gives you um, the, the focus and, and, and space and, uh, and clarity for the the uh, upfront spot effects when when Felicity's climbing up the balloon. Um, so yeah, it's almost like the, you know try, trying to tell the story of space, I, I guess, and, and the sound just gets sucked out and places you into this no man's land with with Felicity, where where the breaths just punch through and everything's just super clear because it's there's nothing for it to fight against other than just this subharmonic uh, holding underneath. Mm. There's also those moments when like the two when the two characters are like kind of yelling out of the balloon. And it almost sounds like, if I remember it right, like there's not really much, of, there's not really any reflection, obviously. Like, 
but you guys are able to play with kind of just the vastness of of that space like <laughs> when when you did like there's some of those shots where you're really far out and you and it really puts you in the the balloon in like how small it is and how fragile it feels um like how did you start to play into some of the camera too of the perspective because the basket like you talked about is is very specific and there's a lot of character to that but then when you zoom out how did you guys really uh, enhance some of those moments Again, it's a lot of back and forth and then deciding there wasn't a, a definite rule. Um, initially, we played with the idea that you'd always really feel the perspective on those shots and play the voices right down, but that can get quite tricky for imparting information on, on some of the shots. Um, so we, we tried to mark mark perspective at, at, at points um, when, when you cut out, but mainly done through level, to be honest. Um, there, there's tiny bits of, of, of reverb just to loosen the voices up. But uh, again, yeah, as you say, there's nothing for it to bounce off. So, so the sound is generally rather dry up there. Um, you know, we, we were adding reverb uh, at most points. And you, you'll notice, um, or you may not notice, but uh, uh, before, the, uh, before the storm at the front of the film, they go into a, uh, a cloud bank there. And, um, and Felicity's kind of having a, a sort of visions of a, her um, ex-husband reciting a poem and uh in the mist tom harper really wanted to um find a way to tell the story of, of the the moisture in the air and uh, and then being surrounded by these clouds and so then at that point everything is completely dry and so the uh the small amount of reverb that we were using at, at other points in the film kind of allows you to find that complete dryness which again i, I used at the uh, the peak of the, the summit when felicity's climbing and the sound again there just goes completely dry you know not a sniff of reverb around um so it's almost you you use it to allow you to not use it at other points, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. you, you don't notice when it is being used because it's used so gently, but you do notice when it suddenly disappears. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, our ears are more. We it's like they almost fold in on themselves because they, they they sense the lack of space. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's what we're aiming for. That's exciting. Well, um, this film it looks like it comes out in theaters here um, just right now, pretty much December sixth. It's gonna be on Amazon Prime on December twentieth. Um, so there's definitely an opportunity for people to see in theaters, which I would definitely suggest. Um, I feel like the work that you guys did is, uh, the film visually is stunning, but the sound work that you guys did, I think is obviously so crucial to just putting the audience there, the characters and enhancing that experience. So Lee, thank you so much for just sharing some of the insights and yeah, I'm excited to, to hear what people think of this film. My pleasure. And thank you very much.